Hallelujah. Israel would be carried away captive by the Assyrians. And Judah would fall into greater idolatry. Grandpa was preaching it this afternoon when he talked about Ezekiel and what he saw. Fernando touched on it today. Brother Stan's been preaching it for years. Brother Dave, same thing. What was coming, what we're living through now, what we're seeing, what's just upon us, what's flooding the earth. They set up idols in that beautiful temple that I so stumbling and haltingly tried to explain to you was built by divine architecture. They filled the house of God with idolatry. And it led to their destruction. Nebuchadnezzar would be raised up, the king of Babylon, the first world empire. And he would come down. And I'm hurrying. He would come down and he would take captive Judah. And he would destroy the temple. Remember what Jesus said? No man takes my life. He says, I lay it down willingly. No man destroyed God's temple. The reason the temple was destroyed was because he had to remove his presence from there. Read it in Ezekiel. Chapter 5, 6, 7, 8. When he lifted Ezekiel into the visions of God in chapter 5, as Grandpa was talking about today, he took him to show him why. Why these things had happened. What are you seeing in America today? We stand on the eve of the 15th uh, 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 observance of 9-11. When this nation's walls of divine protection were, were, were removed by God as a warning to us. And we were attacked from across the sea by an enemy who are the ancestors of the very Assyrians and Babylonians that destroyed Israel. And he showed Ezekiel, he said, he said, look. They've set up an image of Tammuz, sensuality, idolatry, sensuality. He says, the women would come to the temple and cry over this statue that was, you know, had six-pack abs and, you know, that's what it looked like. And the Greeks called him Adonis. And this is what they set in the house of God. Rather than raising up intercessors and handmaidens unto the Lord, they were consumed by the leadership of the elders who led them down a path of addiction to the things of the flesh. And it corrupted the house of God and he could not abide there. He says, but come a little further. Because that's what you see on the outside. He says, but dig a hole in the wall, Ezekiel. And I'll show you something even worse. And, 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 and he dug deeper. And when he got inside there, he found the Sanhedrin. The 70 elders of Israel. 
the ancients, the leaders, those who were the caretakers of the word of God, those who had been given the charge to guard, to guide, to protect, and to lead the people into righteousness. But hidden from sight, God knows exactly what they're doing. But interesting that he shows them first the women weeping after a, a, a sexual idol that they allowed to be erected in the house of God. He shows the outer first. He shows the result. And then he takes Ezekiel into the innermost part of the temple underneath it where they had built a secret chamber. And he says, you know why things are, are, are that bad on the outside up there where you are? Because look what they're doing hidden in my house. Oh, my God. Oh, I know too much. I've met too many of them people we see on TV. My Lord. Head of a major network just died. Fooling around with other men. Driver was, his limo driver was a homosexual. Him and his wife pretending to be married when they've been divorced for some 20 years. Her on the other side of the country. And they raised up the largest quote unquote Christian network in the world. And you send them your money. And they fill the earth with a mixture of pseudo-Christianity driven by a lust and desire for the material world, compromised in the hidden places of their morality and their marriages, and they stand as the leaders over you and me. Shall not a nation be visited for such people as this? You think America ended up where it has ended up overnight? It didn't just happen overnight. He's long-suffering. He's a merciful God. Jeremiah would tell him, you know what? You blew it. Don't even seek his face anymore. Don't even ask for a revival anymore. It's too late. What you should ask him for is for his coming. Look, I'm all for making America great again. But America hasn't been great for a long time. And America will never be great, again or otherwise, without her acknowledging her sin from the top to the bottom and proclaiming Jesus Christ as the King of kings and the Lord of lords and repent. Then maybe... He'll leave behind a blessing. Maybe he'll give us a little bit of time like he did Nineveh in the days of Jonah. Just maybe. Yes. They're carried away captive. Uh, Ezekiel has shown the elders. They had painted images to demon gods in a secret chamber underneath that godly temple. And God had to remove his presence. 
And if you study it out, you'll see he goes from the holy of holies to the holy place to the outer court till he removes himself to the Mount of Olives and then is carried up into heaven. He's gone. Same thing Jesus did. When he removed himself from the people of Israel and withdrew his presence and would declare what? You shall not see me here again until you're willing to do what? Cry, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. We were talking about this at lunch the other day. There's a need for the people of God to be taught. There's so much that we need to know. We need to be taught how to live. We need to be taught how to walk. We need to have, how to, you know, have God in the middle of everything that we do. But none of that matters if you don't hinge it to the principal declaration of the word of God from Genesis to Revelation. And that is one thing and one thing only, that there is a kingdom coming. Why do I treat my wife right? Because a king is coming. You're awful quiet, honey. You should say amen. Jeez. Can't even get a witness, my Lord. <laughs> uh, you promised me you'd pretend, my goodness. Everything, the reason we live right is because Jesus rose from the dead. That's why we strive. We are in preparation for the meeting of a king. That's what it's all about. Otherwise, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't take drugs, I don't do this, I don't do that. You know, I, I, don't, I don't beat my kids, whatever the list may be. I don't kick my dog because I'm trying to be good. For what purpose? Just to be good? That's pretty hard. That would be a boring life. But if I do what I do, if by the power of the Holy Spirit I deny this baser self and embrace a higher reality, I do it because I know and I am anticipating from generation to generation that a king is coming. Oh, yes, my Lord, he's coming back again real soon. Yes, my Lord, he's coming back again real soon. Don't you know? Satan will be bound. Hallelujah. I said, Satan will be bound. A thousand years will have no tempter there when my Jesus comes back to earth again. Somebody praise him tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Give me five minutes. Nebuchadnezzar, he's a type of the Antichrist. He sets up an image. We read it tonight. 60 cubits high. Why 60? That's, that's, that's six tens. Ten is a complete cycle. Six. What, why did he do that? First of all, he makes the image of gold, right? All gold. If you read in chapter 2 before chapter 3, you'll realize that he had a dream. 
And in that dream, he could not remember what he dreamt. He was getting ready to kill everybody. And then he, 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 uh, Daniel goes to Arioch, the guard, and he says, why is the king so messed up? He says, well, he had this dream. Nobody can figure it out. He says, give me 24 hours. He goes back. Now, remember this. Daniel was somewhere between 17 and 20 years old at the time. My God. A generation born under impending judgment. They had nothing to do with the sins of their fathers. They were young people. Born in a time of trial and tribulation. The inevitable judgment of their nation had occurred and they were carried captive into what is a prophetic type of a global reality that we are witnessing today. Nebuchadnezzar has a vision. Daniel explains the vision to him. He says, O king, you saw an image. The image had the head of gold. It had arms and chest of silver. It had, it had loins of brass. It had two legs. Both were iron. And its feet were made out of iron and of clay. Well, if you count that, that's a total of six kingdoms. And when Daniel gave him the interpretation of that dream, he told him, he said, listen, he said, uh, uh, Oh, king, you're that head of gold. But after you're gone, another kingdom's going to arise. We know it as the Medes and the Persian. We call them Iran today. After Iran or after the Medes and the Persians will come the brass, he tells him. Well, that became Alexander the Great. After Alexander the Great came the Roman Empire, symbolized by the iron. On his, on his statue, he, uh, he has two legs, right? And, and those legs are long. They're longer than any other piece of the body. What, what did that symbolize? It symbolized the Eastern and the Western Roman Empire. In the West, the Roman Empire's capital would be in, the Ro- in Rome. In the East, the capital would be known as Constantinople, which today is Turkey. Isn't it interesting that all these kingdoms I'm naming to you are suddenly in the forefront of the news? We have Iran, who is ancient Medo and Persia. We have Babylon, which is Iraq. We have the Assyrians. Who are they? They are ISIS today. They are the descendants of the Ninevites or the Assyrians. That's why they pushed into Iraq and created a caliphate and established it in a city called Mosul. Mosul was the ancient capital of Assyria. And Mosul used to be known as Nineveh. All in the news. The legs grow long. And, and so we've got head of gold, one. Chest and arms of silver, two. Loins of brass, three. Two legs, four and five. And then the final kingdom that's revealed to him is made up of ten toes, iron and clay, mixed together, partly weak, partly strong. That's number six. Now, when Nebuchadnezzar erects an image, and we don't have time to get into the whole thing there, but when he erects that golden image in chapter three, he creates it 60 cubits high, but he makes it all out of gold. What was he trying to do? First of all, where does it tell us that he put the image? Let's read it again. Verse 1, chapter 3. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits. That's 60. The breadth thereof is six cubits. And he, where did he put it? He put it in the plains of Dura in the province of Babylon. 
If you know your Bible, Genesis chapter 11, verse 4, that's where the original Tower of Babel was erected by Nimrod, another type of the Antichrist. Well, the legend of what had happened, the Tower of Babel was built in the plains of Shinar, which is where Dura is which is where Nebuchadnezzar felt compelled to erect his golden image. All these years later, he erected the image out of gold because he was trying to say to God, yeah, you revealed the original statue to me and I was the head of gold, but I reject the arms and the chest of silver. I reject the, the brass. I reject the legs of iron and the feet of iron and clay. And I'm going to make that image all gold because my kingdom will never end. And he's moved by a demonic presence. And he sets up the image in the plains of Shinar, in Dura, where Nimrod erected the Tower of Babel. And he did this because they knew that something awesome took place. Something wicked and evil took place. Prior to the flood of Noah, we're told in Genesis chapter 6 that the sons of God, and I ain't got time to debate with you backsitting scholars, but the sons of God saw the daughters of men and they took them wives of all and the legendary giants of old were born to these women. The mixing of otherworldly, possibly angelic DNA, if you will, with human DNA and it created monstrous creatures. And so horrible was it that violence filled the earth and we're told that God had to judge the world of that day and the flood came. Well, Noah comes out of the ark, God puts a rainbow in the sky, everything's good for a while. But then a guy named Nimrod raises up and he, he was famous for killing a particularly violent leopard and he would wear a leopard skin uh, uh, a coat. That leopard is also symbolic of Alexander the Great. Years later that Daniel would talk about. It's symbolic of the Antichrist. And he would build this tower. Because remember, they had heard how God had flooded the earth. And so, and the Bible tells us now that, the, that, that humankind all had one language at one time. And, and so they build this tower. And what does he say? Come, let us build a tower that will reach to the very heavens. Now, if you break down the Hebrew, you'll see those words literally mean what he was saying. We can translate it today as the top of the tower reaching to heavens. It's another word for the word what we call a stargate or a portal, an opening of a dimension from the spirit realm into the material universe. Are you paying attention? He builds this tower so high that they were thinking they could climb up into it and should God send another flood, they could climb up into it and avoid his judgment. And they were trying to reach high enough in the very place where they had descended before into the earth. Enoch called it the, the, the leader of 200 angels that came into the earth, was, his name was Azazel. He came into the earth and he led a garrison of, 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 of fallen angels into the earth realm. 
They were the ones who taught men the arts, the occultic arts, witchcraft, the making of weapons, pharmacy or sorceries. They corrupted mankind. And Jude, why are you quoting Enoch? Because Jude quoted him. Jude said, even as Enoch said, and, and, and those, those, were, those angels were taken captive and they were bound according to the word of God by, by, by what, so we could understand it, by chains and cast into darkness where they will wait the final judgment of God. They left their first habitation, the Bible says in the book of Jude. They left their first estate and God cast them down. But they gave power to the wicked. And the judgment and the flood came. So Nimrod builds a tower. And he tries to access that portal again. Now we know that something happened. What do you, how do you know that, Brother Mark? Because the Bible says in Genesis chapter 6, it says, And we know that there were giants in the land in that day. Right? And then it says something very interesting. And then it says, And even after that. Something happened in the time of Nimrod because suddenly, like our brother was talking about today, we've got Goliath challenging David, right, and the children of Israel, a giant. We've got his brothers that are all, like he said, six toes and six fingers and just monstrous, gigantic people. Uh, The king, Og, you ever heard of Og? He was 18 feet tall. So... Some kind of something happened when Nimrod built that tower that seems and appears to have opened a portal that allowed demonic spirits to come back in. And so the giants moved through the DNA of of those that were not in the line of the Messiah. They're manifesting again today. Haven't you ever seen the NBA? Lighten up, people. Come on. I know this is heavy. I know this is heavy. <laughs> it's like, what do you, you and your wife talk about at home? Oh, my God. You know? <laughs> what is she feeding you? Uh. <laughs> wow. So this is what a spirit gets a hold of Nebuchadnezzar. Jerusalem's destroyed. The ten tribes are scattered to the four corners of the earth, pretty much. At this point, they're on their way. They're gone. And he erects an image, and he's moved by a demonic presence. Now, it's not just any demonic presence. It's satanic, Satan himself that's moving him. Because Satan is creating something in the earth that is being put up in front of the people in order to prevent the prophecy that was given to him in the garden in Genesis chapter 3 where he's told that the, that the seed of the woman would be born, brought into the earth and, and that Satan would bruise his heel but that he would destroy his head. That his head would be destroyed by the seed of the woman. Not the seed of the man. The seed of the woman. Who's the seed of the woman? Jesus. Who's the woman? Mary. But he's trying to prevent this. How can he prevent this? He's done a good job so far. 
He's got Israel destroyed and carried captive by the Assyrians. He's got Judah destroyed and carried off to Babylon. He's got the temple destroyed. And for all intents and purposes, the people of God are about to be eradicated or compromised from off the face of the earth, so breaking the covenant of promise. That's what he was trying to do. If he could... If he could corrupt the holy seed if he could destroy the original uh, birth line that would come from Ruth and Boaz down to Obed down through Jesse down through David for you see Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah were all descendants of King David they were the boys who refused to eat from the king's table They were a young generation in the midst of a compromised satanic society. Even those around them that claimed to be Jews had compromised themselves, enjoying from the king's table. But these four boys would not compromise, would not yield, would not serve the gods of Babylon. He puts that image and he creates it all out of gold. And it was his way of saying, I will not receive the interpretation that Daniel gave me. There will be no other king. There will be no other empire but Babylon. And so, it's interesting. He's 60 feet high. Representing his rejection of the coming empires as God revealed to him. You know what he was most afraid of? At the end of that vision, Daniel told him. He said, I beheld, O king, until there was a stone. My grandpa was talking about today. Only this stone wasn't burnt. This stone was cut out of a mountain. Representing the mountain of God. And he says, without human hands... And I beheld in the vision till that stone came and smites the image on his feet and grinds that image. That is all of mankind's attempts to be a global one world society under one world king. He says when the coming of the Lord happens, that stone is going to smite the final kingdoms, grind them all to powder. And the wind of the Holy Ghost is going to blow them in every direction so they'll never be seen again. And the kingdom of the Lord and the knowledge of the Lord shall be known from sea to shining sea. And everywhere it shall be said that Jesus Christ is Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. (laughs) What does he do? Let me hurry. Give me me five minutes. I promise you. I'll do like Paul said. In conclusion and then write three more chapters, right? Okay. All right. After verse sets up the image in the plains of Dora, in the province of Babylon, same place the Tower of Babel was erected. He was trying to plug into those satanic powers. My God, think of what we're saying here. Somebody help me here. See, the coming of the Lord is happening right before our eyes. But so thick is the darkness that pervades society and the nations of the world that even when you talk about his second coming, it's as if, uh, it's as if people have never even considered it or heard it in the church. 
And the battle that you face is to climb up by your spirit as the spirit lifts you up into the realm as we prayed today. Before this message, God lift us all between the heavens and the earth, suspending time and space that we might behold visions of God. I'm telling you what God has told me of exactly where we are and what's about to happen. So you'll know. And so on that day, you won't be able to say, Brother Marty, you knew. You knew, and you didn't tell me. (laughs) You won't be able to say that about me. It's going to be hard enough for me to get in as it is. (laughs) I don't need all that other guilt trip. (laughs) What does he do? What does he do? He makes the image. He sets it up. And then he does something powerful and profound. Listen to this. Verse 2. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king, what does he do? He gathers the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers. There's economics. The counselors, the sheriffs. There's law enforcement. The rulers of the provinces, the mayors, and so forth. To do what? To come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up? Isn't it interesting that the dedication of this image, which is a type of the image that we're told of, is about to appear in our time. In the book of Revelation, we're told that an image will be constructed and all the world will be demanded to worship it. This is a type of that. We see an insight by the Spirit of God of what they're already doing and what they will do and how they will do it. We are so far along already that you can't even imagine it. And what's the first thing that Nebuchadnezzar does? He doesn't call for the people, does he? He has a secret dedication ceremony. First, he calls the royalty. Those that had the royal blood. Then he calls all the political leadership. Oh, come on, somebody. In secret. All right, fasten your seatbelts. What's this got to do with the day? I'm going to tell you exactly how.